This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. <laughs> Is that good? Sorry. It makes me laugh every time. That's what I hear every time. But it's not how that's not the cadence though. No, it's not. Welcome to No, it's they're two different things. Oh my goodness. We're just I mean I'm I'm planning to use this as the intro. We're just gonna roll straight from here. So that was Chris Gorman. Um, social media guy on the side of, of Heard at Hail Varsity. Like, I don't really know what his title is, but he does everything for us. And um, apparently, here's something completely different when I intro the podcast than I do. So, um, Jacob Padilla is sitting across from me. We're on opposite sides of the, the table. So, not only are we sitting on the wrong side of where we normally sit, the table somehow like got shorter. Yeah, it's very unsettling. I, I'm kind of off kind of thrown off a little bit right now a hopefully bit. we can power through and still produce a good podcast but. you can move the mic up if you want yeah. to you're kind of like hunched over right yeah, now and it's well. a little funny to look at <laughs> yeah i was i was gonna try to do that at some point but um i was trying to let kind of you get into it and okay there we go all right well i appreciate you playing along yeah well all right that, <laughs> okay that's, that's we're a little good. bit better now it's, it's been a while man yeah no, what's going on it's, uh good to see you we gotta see the whole uh well most of the team today. So uh, Four-fifths nice. of the Hale Varsity staff. Yeah. Um, Number five is in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and just never wants to hang out with us. Yeah. So well, Yeah, it's understandable. I mean, when Greg's in the group, it's kind of tough. Why are you taking shots at Greg? Because <laughs> he's not here. <laughs> he's right over there. <laughs> yeah, but he can't hear us out there. Um, also, what about Mike? That He's part of this group, too. Like, you said four-fifths. Like, oh, I forgot to ask. And Kyle. Like, he's part of the crew Stop now, it. too. Stop it. I'm to kick you I, off. If, Feel like you're just I almost should, I, I, so I actually forgot about your mailbag response um, when I asked you to be on the podcast because if I had remembered that I wouldn't have asked you to be on the podcast. <laughs> I fired you yesterday. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I forgot I, about that too. Well, and I I tweeted at you yesterday asking if I was still invited to lunch. You never responded <laughs> to me, so I just showed up. <laughs> I fired you yesterday. <laughs> Yeah, I still don't know how I have you the have the power. I have the seniority to do that. <laughs> you don't at all. <laughs> I do. When you when you suggest Nickelback as a as a road trip playlist, we were asked for three albums, and you just said Nickelback. Yeah, just go with three Nickelback ones. Just pick any of them. You should have automatically <laughs> be ejected from every club or organization that you are a part of, and a part, a space part. <laughs> Just for any, I, I, yeah. anybody that wonders. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate you making that distinction. That's maybe my biggest pet peeve That's of something Twitter. a lot of people struggle yeah. with. Yeah, it's maybe my biggest pet peeve of Twitter. Yeah, see, I can't pick a, a biggest one because they all annoy me equally. Um, although I, I will say towards the top of that kind of list is people using apostrophes to make things plural. I don't know why people 
always think that's what you need to do. Is that a thing that happens? All the time. People As opposed have, to just putting an S? Yes, yeah, or an ES or whatever. Yeah, it's just always an Yeah. I. Okay. Yeah. It's. Oh, did something happen with Bubba Starling? Yeah, he got called up. Ooh. Yeah. When did that happen? Like a little bit ago, earlier today. Big league call in the diamond. What's the, what are the storm chasers of the farm team of? The Royals? Yes. Kansas City Royals? Yes. Big. That's big. Yeah. Congrats to him. Um, we're not going to talk about baseball because obviously I don't know anything about baseball. And neither do I. <laughs> but I do want to talk to you about basketball because Summer League is going on right now and Nebraska has two guys participating in it. Isaiah Roby, who was drafted by the Dallas Mavericks in the second round, is playing for the Mavericks. Wearing number nine. Kind of having you know a good game and then a not so good game and then a good game. Um, James Palmer was not drafted, but he he got a, a summer league spot on the Phoenix Suns. Your Suns, yes, they made the smart decision, the first smart decision in how many years? A long time, a long time since the goat was in the office, <laughs> since the goat defecated in the office. That's that 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 will probably be the highlight of uh, was it Kevin Arnovitz that wrote that? Probably, I don't even remember. I I know it was not Kevin. Thing. You didn't read it. I. I think it was Kevin Arnovitz. That yeah. w- that may be, and I'm maybe messing it up, but whoever wrote it, that's going to be the highlight of their career. That like Their entire writing career is going to boil down to that one little anecdote, and that's what everyone's going to remember them by. That's the cool. GOAT just in the GM's office, because Robert Sarver thought that he could, he could you know be thematic and put a GOAT in his GM's office to inspire him to be the greatest, I guess. I, Robert Sarver doing Robert Sarver things. James Palmer is playing for the Suns. Yes. He got a, a summer league... Back on track here. Uh, summer league invite to go play for the Phoenix Suns, and their first game got canceled after a pretty significant earthquake that happened in the Las Vegas area. Um, Isaiah Roby's played three. Has James only played two so far? Did he play no, his third he, one? He's Wednesday played night? three. I think Isaiah's played four. Okay, so I was one off. Okay, so let's start with Isaiah. Is he? The, I think he's the guy that you've watched more of. Is that correct? Yeah, I've seen like bits and parts of uh, a couple of these different guys. I think I have seen a little bit more. Have you been? Have you seen anything that would be like okay, this is different from what I saw at Nebraska, or has a lot of what the? I mean, both to some extent. It it seems like they've been okay. This is what you guys were there. Yes, and that's a hundred percent kind of how it's been. Um, The he's kind of been pretty up and down. Um, Had had some. Good moments, had some bad ones. Um, actually, had uh, a Twitter person I know, draft uh, draft fan. Uh, he t- he tweeted at me, Isaiah Roby is having the most Isaiah Roby summer league of all time. So on brand. <laughs> like, yep, that's pretty much it. There, like, so I watched uh, pretty much the full game of Dallas against Sacramento, and he really struggled in that one. Um, that's probably his worst of the four games. And I, the the play that we've seen so many times before, where he catches the ball wide open at the top of the key, nobody near him, and decides to put it on the deck instead of taking the shot, and ended up traveling in the process. Um, and then the next uh, time he had a three, he took it. It wasn't close, but he at least took it, um, and that was his only three of the game. So it's he he's been up and down. He had he bounced back uh, his last game wasn't high volume but he hit all four of his shots i think two of them at least were dunks um he uh was efficient didn't he he had knocked down a three um it's good to see i think it's maybe only his second of the summer league i think he might have hit one in maybe the second game or something like that but um so it's 
pretty much he's not looking any different than he did um, at Nebraska. And like this is a deal where it's kind of a long-term project for the Mavericks. Um, I mean, you look at their off-season moves, and they basically re-signed all of their front court free agents with Dwight Powell and Maxi Kleba and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, all these kind of three, four, five combos. Um, they and re-signed all of them. And then, obviously, Chris Dallas Porzingis is the And big they one. signed Boban Marjanovic. Yes. Bobby, so, Bobby and Toby is dead. R.I.P. R.I.P. But, I mean, Toby got $180 million and so he kind of... Yeah, I, mean, kinda, I, I, I don't I, think he's I, too bent out of shape. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I think they can still hang out during the offseason or when they're facing each other. So, but uh, My question for you is, if Isaiah has been just what, he's, what, what he is, like what you saw in Nebraska, like it, the distinction I want to make, has he been disappointing or has he just not shown anything new? Because if he hasn't been disappointed, if, if, if it's just been what he was, what, what you thought he was, that is... I mean, it's not a great sign, but it's an okay sign, right? Because Dallas drafted him off of what he is. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I think there have been there have been a couple flashes of, like, hey, this yeah. guy's, you know, I think if I remember correctly, there was one play where he had a block at one end and then ran in transition and maybe got a dunk at the other end or, yeah, or a shot like at the that. other end. Yeah. Like, th- there are flashes where they're like, okay, this guy could be a, a two-way um, kind of small ball four for us. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you're spot on, like, the latter. it's He's just kind of been what he is. He hasn't been great, but he hasn't been terrible either. He's like the Mavs. Um, well, so I my question, three and one. my question is, what is that? How does that project his his future career then? Because yeah. we haven't gotten news that he's signed any kind of yeah. deal with the Mavericks yet. So maybe he's playing for a contract, or maybe there's just they're negotiating and something hasn't happened yet. How do you think that this summer league is going to impact his his future with? More specifically, the Mavericks, and then I guess if, if you think it's not going to be with Dallas, but he will get an offer from somebody else, like like how do you think this summer league kind of translates itself into whatever contract he signs? Yeah, so I'm just kind of looking up right now how many contracts, guaranteed contracts, the Mavs already have, and we're at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. Oh, that's not good. Fourteen. So they're at 14 guaranteed contracts already. Um, so if, That's not if you're unaware, um, 15 is the max for NBA teams. And then you've got two spots for two-way guys. And they don't have two-way guys yet, do they? they uh, their guys. No, last year they had Kostas Antetokounmpo. Jeez, screw that up. But uh, And Daryl Macon were two-way guys for them. Milwaukee try, might try to add Antetokounmpo just you know because of nepotism. Yeah, he, they want to try to keep Giannis in yeah, he, Milwaukee. Yeah, Costas did not look great in that last game for um, Dallas. But like, so those guys are still with the Mavericks. Uh, they're with their summer league team and playing as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how, what kind of plans Dallas has for them. Um, but Costas, um, he was taken, I think, with the, the last pick in the draft last year, and they used a two-way deal, two-way deal on him. Roby was a 45th pick, so a little bit earlier. Um, and it seemed like they did like him like they were going to draft him i think at one point and then they um ended up getting the offer to move down and kind of had to take that so um i think that he's in dallas's plans i just don't know what exactly that looks like whether it is a full guaranteed contract for however long or if it is kind of more of a two-way type of deal um 
hopefully we'll find out soon. I mean, summer league's kind of getting close to wrapping up here. Mm-hmm. We're getting to the bracket part where I think only um, a handful of teams actually make the the championship bracket, and everybody else gets a consolation game. Sixteen, something or eighteen. Something like that, yeah. but a two-way deal wouldn't be bad. It's not like he's like not getting a shot with the Mavericks and has yeah. to go find somebody else who didn't actually draft him. Yeah, two-way deal just kind of means you're split between the NBA and the G League. And I'm trying to think. I I think the the kind of pay structure kind of goes along with that. Like you're not getting a full fully guaranteed NBA deal if you're on a two-way contract, but you do get paid better than a regular G League player. Yeah, I think it's something like you're either. Um, there are like two minimums that you hit. One of them is is around like 1.5 million, and the other yeah. one is is like half of that. Yeah. And you get 45 days up with the NBA team, and you get, um, I think, what is it, unlimited? Yeah. With with the G, the G League, League. And, yep. and when those 45 days have been exhausted, you either get returned to the G League or the team can choose to sign to, to sign a regular you. contract. So maybe yep. what ends up happening then is because a lot of teams like to do this, they like to keep that last roster spot empty, yeah. at leaving free agency, so that if something happens. In season, like they need to add a guy because of injury, or a two-way guy plays really well and they end up signing him. This happened with Tory Craig in the Denver Nuggets. He ended up getting a full deal, um, or you know the the buyout market or whatever. But I don't necessarily think Dallas is going to be contending, so they probably won't be big players in the buyout market. So maybe, I mean, maybe they sign a fifteenth guy yeah. while this podcast is still in editing, and this is a moot point by the time it comes up. Or maybe they go into the season with that fourteenth slot available. Roby's on a two-way deal, and he can play himself into a contract. Um, I don't, I, I don't, I don't think the summer league has been bad for him, though. No, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I don't think it's really moved the needle one way or the other. That's a good way I think to put it. he maybe had a chance to lock up a, a, a guaranteed type of deal for himself if he had really come out and showed improvement and showed that he wasn't necessarily struggling in the same areas but that hasn't really happened um but like you said like they shouldn't i don't think they were surprised by what they're seeing because this is kind of who he has been throughout his career so yeah five five of those contracts are front court players and that doesn't include luka Doncic, who could play um pretty much any position he defended fours a lot last year um kind of while running the offense so that's uh they've got some depth in the front court um right now so i don't think we'll be seeing him play very much in the NBA this year, regardless of what kind of contract he signs, but just being around the club, I think would be in being in those practices and um, especially early on, because the G league season doesn't start until later on in the NBA season. So even if he is a G league guy or a, a two way guy or whatever, he's going to start with the NBA team and we'll be in those practices. We'll be in on the bench for some of those early games and kind of gain that experience, which is kind of a great way to kind of, get your toes wet in the NBA waters. Sure. Let's talk about the other guy, James Palmer Jr. Um, like I said, the, the first game got canceled after the earthquake. They came out two nights later, so he, he had to wait for his debut. Um, but his debut was really, really good. He had 23 points. He was 8 of 18, if yep. I remember correctly, shooting 4 of 7 from the three-point line. His shot chart looked really good. It was threes, and it was everything in the paint. He only took one mid-range jumper um, throughout the course of the game. He had He had... A second one that was on the left baseline, but that was the the potential game winner as the clock was going down. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily count that one. I was just get the shot that you can get. Um, some rebounds, some assists. He it, he has in the three games. He's he's I think around four or five boards a game, and he's just shot a couple assists, got a couple steals, got a couple blocks. But four of seven 
from three to start, and what was it, two of two. three of thirteen in the last two games. Since. Yeah, that's not not great. And he was one for five the last yeah. time out. Two yeah. of eight, one for five in the last two games. Yeah, those are and that's those what, are more James Palmer. Yeah, that's exactly what we're seeing. For whatever reason, he's a guy that always struggles. If there's he's doing one thing well in terms of scoring, he's struggling in another area. So in that first game. Uh, four seven from three, great. Four of eleven from two, which isn't great. Second game, um, two of eight from three, not great. But eight of ten. Well, from I kind of want to push line. back on the four of eleven thing. He led a comeback. Like he yeah, he was. No, I'm, he, I'm I just, think I thought he played. I thought that was a really good game. I don't think, especially when you're like transitioning to NBA rules, NBA defenders, bigger bodies, more athletic. I don't think four of eleven is that bad. It's thirty like seven percent. I mean, it, if it if, so, like, if you have that over like your entire summer league, then yeah, yeah. that's probably something that you talk about. Well, and what I'm just game. saying is, from game to game, he it seems like he's never able to put it all together. And the same thing was at Nebraska, where he either shot well, or um, he was getting at the rim, or he was getting fouled. He was doing one of the three. He always got his buckets because he always got one of those three areas going. But rarely did he ever have all three of them going at once. So in that first game, shooting well from three, not well inside the arc. Second game, wasn't shooting well from three, but he's getting to the free throw line. This last game, he effective inside the arc. He was, I think, three or four, but one of five from three. Didn't get in the line a whole lot. So it just he kind of struggles to put his put it all together in terms of his scoring game. Um, and that's something that we saw throughout his Nebraska career, which is why his percentages ended up looking like they did, because he wasn't able to consistently do all of them or even two of the three well. Um, it was kind of hit or miss. He's doing one well or not the others and that's kind of the difference between him being what he was as a junior and then making a leap in his senior year and just kind of being a similar kind of guy maybe falling off a little bit um, as opposed to stepping up because he wasn't able to figure that part of his game out but what he has shown is physically and experienced skill set was all like he's capable of being a high level professional player what level that is I don't know but he's making stuff happen which is always better than guys are just kind of out there and you don't notice. So he is at least making an impression on clubs. Um, we'll have to see at this point kind of who that is. I think some, someone asked, um, uh, I think someone asked me on Twitter, I don't know if it was tossed, I think it was tossed in the mailbag as well, but uh, asked him kind of what his chances are. And um, I really don't. Well, that was going to be my yeah. next question because I don't, I don't think there's a future with the Suns. Yeah. I don't think he, he gets a two way spot or a deal with the Suns. But what does this next season look like for him? Is he a G League guy? This was the question that we got in the mailback. Does yeah. he make an NBA roster? Is he a G? Is he a two-way guy or is he a G League guy? Yeah. I think the two-way guy is his ceiling right now. I don't. He just doesn't shoot well enough for what he does. I don't think for NBA teams to invest real money in him. But um, I think he's. And the question is like, will teams want to spend two-way guy on a twenty-three-year-old? volume score like is that that's kind of what he's battling right now is would teams want to spend that spot on a guy like him versus a younger guy who does some other things maybe a specialist type and you can develop the rest of his game or whatever because the thing about Palmer is um like what can he do in a smaller role like he's a guy that's always been a volume score like he needs his touches to get his points and he's got to show that he can do all that other stuff, the rebound, the defend. Um, he, he's shown to be a capable defender when he wants to, when he's locked in. 
Um, in that last game for the Suns, he was playing some four um, and defending fours kind of um, in small ball lineups. So that's kind of just showing a little bit more versatility. Yeah, that's not what he want. He even said in the like he, pref- he he thinks he's more of a one through three than a four, but he'll do whatever it takes to kind of give himself a chance. Um, so maybe I think if he continues to do like if he has a really good game in this next performance and shoots well, I think maybe. He could snag a two-way spot somewhere. Heck, even with the Suns, I think they could probably end up using needing another bench guard just for depth, for practices, all these, uh, all that kind of thing. But uh, I, I think more the more likely path is if he wants to keep giving it a shot, sticking around in the G League because I think he could potentially go get a nice little deal overseas if he wants to just. So, you know what, I'm good. I'm going to go get my money now. Um, that's I think that's going to be a personal choice um, by Palmer and kind of what he wants to get out of his career. Um, but we won't really know that until kind of he has the opportunity to make that decision, I guess. Does it help him that, that uh, like, every NBA team, they just want to have as many guys on the court at one time who can handle the ball and can create their own shot? And that's what Palmer is. I know he's not... He has never been a great playmaker for teammates, and and unless he's like really locked in, he he's he's an average to below average defender. Does so? Does the fact that he is a shot creator and a guy who, I mean, it, like we had this argument yeah. with with Russ, he can score. It's not going to be as efficient as you would yeah. like, but he can score. Does that help him, or does the the lack of other stuff? hurt him more well and i think he does do enough of that other stuff like yeah he's not a five assist a game guy but he is a two and a half three assist type of game guy and he is capable of uh making some plays for other guys like he doesn't have terrible vision it's not special but as an off guard i think it's good enough um and then you did mention like steals and blocks and he that's the thing like yeah he's got that kind of ability to create but he also has the six six frame with yeah, the he's really got long the tools to be a plus defender. So that and um, if you watch that game last night, the Suns uh, um, they beat Grizzlies, uh, not Grizzlies. They beat the Spurs um, by one. And Palmer they switched him like he subbed in the game, or they ended up putting five guys out there that could switch everything. And um, San Antonio went to go set a, a ball screen, and Palmer read it, jumped the ball, got the steal, and sealed the game because um, the Suns were up one at that point in the, in the closing second. So um, that that was a great play by him and kind of shows he's got that versatility where he can switch and defend multiple positions. Um, and, and that's huge in today's game. But that, that, I think, will give him a chance versus some other, like, volume score types that are more, like, smaller guys. Um, so, I, I, yeah, I, I don't at the end of the day he's got to shoot the ball to play in the NBA and I don't know that he ever will but I think the rest of his game he does enough of the other stuff to give himself at least a chance to maybe show if he can shoot or not versus just kind of being marked off immediately I want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little football um, we leave for Big Ten Media Days a week from today Uh, Big Ten Media Days are Thursday and Friday of next week, the 18th and the 19th of July. Scott Frost and Nebraska are talking on Thursday. 
uh, Thursday afternoon. I think around noon, I think, is when Frost takes the podium, and then the players are, are later in the afternoon. But Adrian Martinez is going to be there. Um, Khalil Davis is going to be there. Khalil! Yeah. Big surprise. Yeah. Um, Mohamed Berry is going to be there, who Mo, Mo and uh, Adrian were not surprises. Khalil Davis was a surprise. You wrote about I, this. I did. Yeah. Yes. Let's talk about this. It was a... I, it, so we can talk about what it means for Adrian that a, that a true sophomore is there, and he's one of only two quarterbacks that's going to be there from from any team. But Nebraska hasn't sent um, underclassmen to this thing, and Adrian's the first true sophomore to go since I think since they moved to the Big Big Ten and started doing this thing. Um, so we could talk about that, but I think the 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 bigger surprise was Khalil getting yeah. in there because we in our Slack channel before it kind of came out, we we were kind of talking about who we thought would be that third guy because we kind of penciled in yeah. Mo Berry and Adrian, and, and we were and Khalil did not come up. No, you mentioned seven guys. He went seven deep, and Khalil was not one of them. Yeah, I had like Ben Stilley and Lamar Jackson and DiCaprio Boodle and Darian Daniels. Darian Daniels and, and yeah, um, and, and Davis, Khalil, and Carlos didn't either. Yeah. So uh, Khalil Davis was a surprise. What did you think about that move? Yeah, I can like you mentioned, I kind of wrote about that a little bit, so you can check that out on the website. But um, he, it kind of makes a little bit of sense in hindsight. Um, you mentioned Stilly and Daniels as guys in that defensive line group that you would have thought expected more. Um, Darian Daniels seemed like he has kind of grabbed the leadership mantle as soon as he got into that room Just and earned like everybody's respect. Yes, but at the end of the day, he hasn't played one snap of Nebraska football. So it's kind of hard to send a guy like that. Um, That's uh, and Ben Stilley, um, he's a good player in that group. Um, while he has delivered some like notable one-liners and kind of some quotes like that, he I don't think he's the most vocal guy. I don't know that he loves kind of doing the media. Um, he's a guy that uh, you got to kind of really ask the right questions to get extended you gotta, you answers gotta get out of him. him. The best – the best um, setting for yeah. him is a small setting, one-on-one. Exactly. One on one. I, I don't think he would do well uh, at a media day setting, and, and he's also just a junior, and he's still got some stuff to prove. Exactly. So for all those reasons, like, yeah, maybe those guys would have jumped to mine first, but it makes sense why they didn't pick them. And Khalil is a guy that's always kind of been in his brother's uh, shadow. Carlos was the hot, more highly rated player coming out of high school. Carlos is a guy that played more throughout their first three years. Uh, he started a lot of games. I don't think Khalil has still started a single game. Uh, but last year, you kind of saw Khalil step forward, and he ended up being one of Nebraska's most disruptive players on defense. He was, led the defensive line in tackles for loss. Um, he ended up with three sacks kind of playing off the bench. Um, so you kind of saw him emerge a little bit and kind of make a name for himself as opposed to being just like Carlos's brother. Mm -hmm. And it, it makes sense that you're sending a defensive lineman because you would expect that. I think that group um, has more expectations um, and they need to live up to them for this season to go the way it has. Like last, they're all the same guys from last year, minus Daniels for the most part. Um, so, and the defensive line was one of the weak points in the defense last year. They just didn't do enough up front to disrupt offenses. So we're Why did the defense fail last yeah. year? Because they couldn't consistently stop the run, which yeah. goes to the defensive line. I think that's the answer you will get from most people. Yeah. So, yeah, and exactly then you what you're saying. And then tackles for loss, like uh, whether in the sacks, all that stuff, pass and run game. They just didn't control the line of scrimmage well enough. And now it's all the same guys back. So you kind of were expecting big things out of that group, but they've got to go out and prove it. So it makes sense to have a representative from that group. Um, and... 
um, I guess Khalil just probably just them knowing him, they kind of felt like he'd be he would handle it well. Yeah, he'd handle it well. And Khalil's like you listen, he's a pretty soft spoken dude. Um, but like if you ask him the right questions, like he has no problems kind of holding on a long conversation, um, going in depth on some answers. Like he's not, he's a pretty solid quote. Um, he's comfortable. If you get it, yeah. If you get him, yeah, you get him comfortable there and he'll give you some good stuff. So I, I, I think he'll be good there. Um, uh, it's, it'll occasionally throw out a, a joke here and there and kind of lighten the mood a little bit too. So I, I, I think he's a pretty good pick. It's kind of interesting. You could have gone any number of ways with that last one. Like I think everybody expected Adrian and Mohammed um, to be the guys that were locks. Um, but beyond that, it, it could have been anybody. And I think Cleo's as good of a choice as anybody else. Maybe I'm just grasping at straws, but maybe it says something that there are two defensive guys going there and there's only one one offensive guy going there. I mean, a lot of the offensive guys are young, and J.D. Spielman doesn't like talking to people, and uh, Maurice Washington is not uh, going to go. But, yeah, yeah um, that's kind of the issue with J.D. Like, yeah, he's your best player like that's not going but like you're not going to put him in that maybe situation. interviewed him like once in his three years or two, what's funny two years is now. he actually like his uh like freshman year he i don't remember him like ducking interviews nearly as much because i uh i thought he did a few of them like and then just last year he just completely shut it down he did a handful of them but he he's always been somebody that would rather defer that to yeah. stanley because stanley was the voice of the room yeah um so it'll, it'll be interesting how that goes um i want to talk about the the 10 intriguing players list that i've been doing number two is a guy that we were just talking about not khalil davis but um there's a little tease for next week so published today we're recording this on a thursday afternoon was number three it's adrian martinez is not the quarterback a lot of like countdown lists for for individual players adrian is number one yeah. but those are all like importance lists intrigue at least to me we kind of know what adrian is it's just a matter of like what more can he be That's exactly so right. there are a little bit there, there's there are two guys in particular well obviously two i was at number three <laughs> there are two guys that i that and neither of them have played in nebraska so we don't know what they are okay so there's a lot of intrigue um but well, another tease for you there you go um have you had any like qualms with number 10 through uh number four so far like i had mike williams at number 10 he's the only receiver that's made this list i had jack stoll at number nine as a tight end um cam taylor at number eight judge o'doman at number seven dedrick mills at six colin miller at five and cam jurgens at four I, I think it's a pretty solid list. Um, a lot of those guys on there, I think, are, are good names to include in this kind of discussion. The Mike Williams one is interesting, and I almost would have cheated and just put the entire wide receiver room because I, outside of Spielman, and even a little bit with him, I'll touch on that in a second, but I really have no clue what to expect from that room. And I wrote about uh, them today and kind of compared the wide receiver usage last year to what Central Florida had in 2017 in year two under Frost. I did that same thing with the running game a, a while back, and now I kind of looked at the, the receivers and how they were used and kind of the distribution of targets and all those kind of things. And I really have no idea what to expect. Yeah, UCF it, used a lot more wide receivers in that year than Nebraska did. I think doing a 10-player intrigue list with only one wide receiver like if, if every single person in the office if i'd asked you guys yeah. to give me a list of your 10 players with one wide out on the list we probably would have got 
everyone five picking different, a different yeah, wideout. Yeah, players. Yeah, it would have been interesting. The, the, how, how did you settle on Mike Williams as um, that guy to kind of represent that? So group? the I think Andre Hunt was kind of the the hot name yeah. throughout the spring, and and people are kind of like, well, it's probably going to be JD and Andre Hunt, maybe Wondell Robinson, and those will be your, your three wide receivers that are on the field at any given time. I think Mike Williams has been forgotten a little bit. Which is and and it's been an interesting arc for me because he started last year. Yeah. Like he was the number three receiver, receiver, the number three receiver last year. And all the talk going into last season was, hey, we need a a, a consistent, solid number three guy to to kind of fill in the gaps and pick up the scraps from from JD and from Stanley Morgan. And that was Mike Williams through the first three games. And I didn't think he was disappointing as a receiver, as a pass catcher. It was just blocking that he that he. That, that cost him playing time. Um, Cade, I, Cade Warner is a, is a name that everybody likes. I like Cade Warner. I thought he was a senior, which is hilarious that I wrote senior. I'll write freshman. senior. He was a redshirt freshman, yeah. Um, I like Cade Warner. Um, I like Jerron Woodyard, but I think Mike Williams, I, and I think Woodyard and Williams as two guys who came in last year as Juco products who only had two years. Neither of them had the kind of season last year that they wanted to have. And I guess those two were, could be interchangeable if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, but both of them are seniors. This is their last year. They both have stuff to prove. Maybe a little bit similar skill set and, and body style. Um, but I think Mike, I mean, we've seen him. We've seen the workout videos pound for pound. He's an athletic um, freak. I'll just say it that way. He's really fast and he's really strong. I'm, I'm just curious if he can if he can – Figured out. He's played a lot yeah. of football. He, he hasn't played a lot of Division One football, but he's played a lot of football. Well, and even like you look at him, um, he was what third among wide receivers and receiving yards last year, even in the limited role. Mm-hmm. Um, got twelve passes in twelve games for one hundred twenty-two yards. Thing is, though, like about him and Woodyard is obviously like speed. I think is their most defining skill and trait that you would think of when you think of those guys. And neither of those guys have really. Um, I mean, what Woodyard had one catch last year, but um, Central Florida used a lot of like guy. They liked a lot of downfield passing last year. They had some real burners on that team. Heck, there was a dude that caught six passes and averaged like thirty yard, thirty nine yards a catch or whatever. And Nebraska didn't do a ton of that last no. year. And so that's where you figure in like a guy like Williams or Woodyard could factor in if they can figure it out. Because last year again, Williams only averaged ten yards a catch. So, like, even though he, he caught some balls and racked up some yards, he wasn't really a downfield guy. He was more of a short yardage guy, which you've got a lot of those guys. Um, so if he can figure out a way to do what he needs to, like you mentioned, you didn't think he was disappointed as a receiver. I thought he was because I never saw him get downfield. He never really had those explosive plays, and that's what you expect out of a, speed, a guy with, that claims to be one of the fastest guys on the team. I think it was just more by design. Yeah, I don't, right. And maybe that's um, not utilizing the personnel. Pro- we're entirely too yeah. early in this tenure to start questioning their utilization yeah. of players, so I'm not going to go that far. But I didn't think I, – I thought – so JD is going to be a guy yeah. that's on the field 90% of the time. Yeah. Is, that, is that fair? 80% yeah. of the time? As long as he's healthy, he'll be yeah. on the field a ton. Wando Robinson is probably going to be on the field a ton, right? Do you agree with me there? I – I'm still a little bit more hesitant than you are to uh, in, instantly just plug him in there as one of the guys. Um, just like, just got to see it. Like with all these newcomers, like I just got to see it. There were guys last year that we thought were going to be studs 
that never saw the field or when they did they didn't do very much of it hmm. so i've got us and again there are a lot of these guys that have been here longer that maybe it finally clicked for these guys and the other thing too and this is why the wide receiver room is also interesting to me is how do they use those guys like how do they use jd Spielman? he's been a slot guy his whole career so our and then you you kind of figure like Wandale is more of a slot type of guy, um, just based on that duck R role and kind of what you expect him to be. You think he's more of an inside receiver at his size and all that stuff. Um, kind of why Noah the the grad transfer from Cal, he's more of a possession type of receiver versus kind of a. Big, See, he's the one I keep forgetting about. Yeah, I forgot. I like I think there was a story I wrote. Um, oh no! It was for uh, the the position previews in the yearbook. Did you I forget to include? I completely forgot him? about him. I had to go back <laughs> after submitting um, my final thing and edit it while we were going through um, kind of the editing process because I completely forgot him. Did not mention him at all. Hmm. So that's another like they've got a lot of guys that could fit that are more those slot type of guys versus kind of outside receivers. So how do they balance that? How does the playing time work? between all those guys. So that's kind of, I, I still need to see what the role for Wandale, because uh, last year we didn't really see much of a duck. Like Maurice Washington was the closest thing we had. They didn't have this guy though. Yeah. That's 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 the reasoning that I um, get. I, that, I mean, that's what I tell myself yeah. to, when I justify thinking that Wandale is going to play a, like a Rondo Moore type role. I, they, I don't think they had that guy last year. I think Miles Jones is a little bit slow to pick up the offense, a little bit slower than they would have liked. Oh, and he was hurt too. And he was so, hurt a little yeah. bit. Maurice Washington is not this kind of player. He's fast, but he's tall. He's not. Yeah. I, he's just not this kind of player. And they would prefer to use him in the backfield. Rondo Robinson is, I think, tailor-made for this position. I think they'll be in that personnel a lot more. I think another thing that impacts um, the wide receiver usage that we haven't mentioned yet is tight end usage. Yes. How much how much um, variance we're going to see in, in the tight ends? Are, are we going to see multiple tight end sets? How often are we going to see multiple tight end sets? How active is Jack Stoll going to be in the passing game? So I, I really think it's going to come down to there's going to be one of these receivers, one of these extra guys, one of these non-Spielman, non-Wandale, non-Jack Stoll guys, and it's just one spot. For those guys, yeah. and so when I look at it, and I'm like, "What's what's the biggest differentiating factor there?" And I think it's blocking. I think who can be the best perimeter blocker? Because I've talked to coaches and I've watched tape, and and you hear them talk about it all the time. We have to be a better perimeter blocking team. And when I look at the guys, I'm like, "Who has the skill set right now? Who has the tools to be a good blocker as long as they put their as long as long as they put the effort into it?" And that to me is Mike Williams. You, you could convince me it's it's Andre Hunt or John Woodyard or Noah or yeah. Cade Warner, well, who is a big, strong, physical body. But to me, right now, I think that's Mike Williams. And that's the thing. Well, that's why Williams got taken off the field in the first place, and why Warner ended up starting down the stretch is because of that block. Because he couldn't part. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's strong, but he's also small. He's like five nine, a buck seventy or whatever. Like he is a li- a smaller dude which could also potentially hurt him like trying to make plays down the field too, depending on the kind of corners he matches up with. So that that's, I think the overall receiver usage, tight end, running back, wide receiver, that is probably the thing I am most intrigued by on the entire team is how that comes together, especially because, I mean, the running game, we'll see what Diedrich Mills can bring and how the Washington situation 
um, kind of plays itself out. But I think you will need a little bit more out of the passing game this year. Is it a hot take to suggest that Adrian Martinez is the leading rusher at the end of the year? Uh, I don't know that it's a terribly hot take. Um, I think that wouldn't be good for Nebraska because it means neither of those running backs have been able to really kind of establish What if you got 800 yards from Mart? I keep interrupting you. I'm sorry. What if you got 800 yards from Martinez and like 700 from Dedrick Mills? That makes sense. I think they ideally you'd like to have Adrian run a little less than he did last year, just in terms of preserving his body and keeping him uh, keeping him healthy and on the field. Because um, what he was around like eight hundred or whatever last year, right? Um, he was around I think eight carries a game. Yeah. Which, so I, I compared him to um, when I went did the rushing thing to uh, 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 McKenzie, um, and it. What was McKenzie around per game? Uh, I, I forgot about it. It was it was less than it was like two carries a game less or something like that. Let me try um, to pull it up. I got first. it right here. Uh, Russian. So McKenzie Milton was at five point eight carries a game, six hundred yards, six hundred thirteen yards. So and then Adrian was at. 13 carries a game. Yeah. Did you take sacks out or did you include sacks? I didn't because I just I was lazy. So, yeah, he, he carried the ball more than Milton did when um, UCF got that offense up. That's the point that matters. So that's the question is how far, how close to what they had at UCF can Nebraska get this year in year two? Um, and that's a, a large part of that will be on the receivers. Can they get enough receiving threats to do what they wanted want to do to do what they did at UCF where you got guys gashing teams down the field you're you're taking a lot of deep shots you're moving the ball uh, down the field a lot and then the the quarterback run game is a counter to that once you get the defense on your heels versus having to ride the quarterback run game as one of the featured parts of the offense and if you have if Adri- if Adrian does lead the team in rushing um, I, I think it's because the the receivers just didn't step up and he had to do more himself. You don't want him running a ton and not more than last year, I don't think. Yeah. But at the same time, like, Mariota ran his Heisman season. I don't remember what he was, and I'm obviously terrible with numbers, so I'm not going to try to come up with it off the top of my head. But he, he was around this, so I don't know that they're, um, you know, rewriting the book so that they can bring down Adrian's runs. I mean, he is the most dynamic player on the field. So putting the ball in his hands is not a bad idea. Um, And I know that you want to preserve health as much as possible, but I mean, he's the best player on the field. And sometimes you got to just roll with him yeah, and and trust that he's going to make smart decisions and he's going to protect his body when he needs to. Yeah. So not taking sacks into account, Mariota was at nine, uh, nine carries a game. Um, and 770 yards. So uh, still a little bit less than what Martinez did this last year, but more than what Milton did um, in year two at Central Florida. So I, I, th- I think that is kind of that you don't want him having double-digit carries. That's kind of the main thing. Heck, at Central Florida, they didn't want their running backs getting to double-digit too often. Like you look at what Adrian Killens did and – as good as he was, he uh, like his season high for carries that year was 15, which he did twice. Yeah, they had a lot of guys in like the 10 to 12 range. Yeah, yeah. and that's kind of a big part of that piece I wrote is like the balance was there for Central Florida 
Whereas last year you had um, Divino Zigbo as kind of that workhorse back, and you go back to Oregon. And I, I, I didn't want to go too far into Oregon because that's a little bit different where, yes, Frost was involved with that and Colin plays for some of those seasons and whatever, but it wasn't necessarily his roster. So I've kind of just used UCF as the comparison point because Frost is in total control there. Um, so, but you do go back and look at Oregon. They had some of the, some of those years they had a, a workhorse like Royce Freeman, mm-hmm. and then a couple of years there they had uh, and like Michael James. And a couple of years there they kind of mixed it up and had a couple of different guys splitting up those carries. So I think it kind of goes with the personnel, and we'll have to see what kind of personnel Frost thinks he has here in Lincoln. The way I always like to think about it is Oregon was the inspiration and UCF was the formula. That I think that's a good way to put. It. And now Nebraska is kind of the evolution of that when you bring in the Husker power portion of it that Frost said that he wanted to do. So let's talk about, would you, I, I just, real quick, one more question that I have for you. on If you were doing a 10 most intriguing players list, who would be your number one? Who, who are you like most looking forward to seeing either what they look like on the field this season, um, if game has changed, if it's an older guy, or like a role? Like who is the most intriguing player to you on this roster? Um, I, you you put him at number four on this list. I'm gonna go ahead and take Cameron Jurgens, um, because that's such a big part of this offense is the the, the role of the center. It, it's tough to kind of single out any one offensive lineman because as like Brendan Hymas can be as good as he wants, but if Matt Farniak's not holding up his end of the deal or one of the guards kind of breaks down regularly, Adrian's still gonna be running for his life. So um, it's kind of tough to uh, single out any one offensive lineman, but you look at that center and the added responsibilities for that role, um, I think kind of elevates that spot a little bit. And you add on the fact that right now it looks like they have decided to go all in on Cameron Jurkins, a converted tight end and outside linebacker. And um, like he played every position, but <laughs> basically center for Beatrice in high school. Um and he's continuing to add the weight that he needs to to hold that ground. You, you kind of look back at the spring game, and there are some plays where he was moving dudes. Like, he didn't always snap uh, that well, and there's some times where he missed some stuff. But in terms of just physical ability, you can see it even in that setting where he had the strength to move guys around. So if it clicked for him, you think about having that kind of ability up front to open up holes up the middle for a guy like Diedrich Mills. Um, so I, I think if – if I think – Cam Jurgens will play a huge role in whether or not this offense is able to get where it needs to. Because if he's not there yet, if he struggles to make reads, if he struggles to snap uh, effectively, then does Nebraska have to yank him and try to go with one of the walk-ons or Will Farniak or any of those guys any more ready? They've got more experience at the position, but physically, are they any more ready than Jurgens would be? Um, so I think I, I was. Heading into spring, I was kind of curious to see how they handled it, and I was a little bit surprised that they had that Jurgens basically took almost all the starters' reps um, that we were able to see. It's his it's, to lose. Yeah, it seems like they're like they're fast forwarding his development. They're giving him every opportunity to earn the job, and um, it, if he's able to do it, and if he's able to kind of learn as he goes and get it quickly and keep getting better and better. That offense got, has got a chance to be pretty darn good down the second half of the season. You made a point that I think um, is really important. It's one of the the, the most interesting um, storyline, potential storylines I think of the season is 
if Jurgens is struggling snapping the ball, if he's struggling picking up signals or, or things like that um, pre-snap, like let's say we're three games in the season and you're looking at opening Big Ten play against Illinois and, and Cam is really struggling. What 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 do you? I think what they do at that point, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, yeah. but what they do at that point would be um, the clearest signal that we could get as to the timeline that this team is operating on because. You know, Frost made the comment on either Sports Nightly or an ESPN radio show that he went on that, like, they feel pressure to win now because of Adrian. Um, you've got guys saying that we feel like we're a Big Ten title contender, like we're um, a, a college football playoff contender. I wasn't going to single them out. College football playoff contender. Um, but at the same time, you have th- – this is a very young team. Like, you have a true sophomore going to media days in part because there just aren't a lot of seniors on this team. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is a really young team and a really, really young defense. And I, at, at what I think, and I hope I didn't influence you in your pick. We talked about this a little bit off pod, but I yeah. think center is the second most influential position on yeah. a football field. And you have a guy that has never played that position before, yeah. so he's going to have to learn. And there are going to be bumps and bruises, and there are going to be some some rookie mistakes. You had to go through those with Adrian. But the way they looked at Adrian last year was like he is the future at this yeah. position. So if we have to go through some bumpy roads to, to give him the development that he needs, then we're willing to do that. Now, that was last year. Yeah. This year, they have expectations. But you still have to do the same thing with Cameron Jurgens. Like, I don't think that you can just play him for three games and be like, oh, this is not working, you're yeah. not ready. Yank him out because if he is the future, which it seems like – Frost has given an indication that he is. He compared him yeah. to Dave Remington, said he has the best blocking instincts of anyone on the team. It seems like he's the guy they want at that spot. They haven't recruited a center to replace him. Do, do you just have to roll with it? And, and if you do just roll with it, what does that do to your, to your Big Ten title chances? Yeah. Are, you, are, are, you, are you saying that we are all in on this season, yeah. or are you playing for next year? And the other half of this discussion that we don't know about is as inexperienced as he is, are the other guys, what if he's just the best option? So even if he does struggle, do they have, do they feel good enough about those other guys that plugging one of them in would stabilize things and would improve things? And if you do go that route and you still believe in Cam, when does, when do you plug him back in? Like, how does that kind of work? So I think putting the, the, the Martinez comparison, I think is great. Cause a lot, I was one of the people that, kind of thought that um, they'd start Tristan Jebbia and let Adrian take the year to get back to full speed after missing a senior oh, year. God, don't, get... don't publicize that. I, it was very public at the time. <laughs> like, I said it multiple. Uh, and I think the logic behind that was sound because, again, this is a dude who did not play football his senior year. Um, I think we saw quickly on how special he is and the fact that he was able to overcome that and do what he did. But again, instead of taking the safe route and letting the guy that they really like kind of develop slowly and take his time, they just threw him right into the fire. And it's like, yeah, we're, we're just going to ro- roll with this guy. It kind of seems like they're doing the same thing with Cam. So I don't know if we would get to the point um, unless barring injury where they do yank him out. Um, but the, the, the year two thing and the pressure does make that a little bit different. So I think they put themselves in a really interesting spot by choosing to kind of anoint Cam as a guy right out of the gates. I think there are going to be a handful of times throughout the season where the medal is going to be tested a little bit. Yeah. And, and I think they're going to, they're going to be confronted with that question of, 
are we still going for this this year? We yeah. feel like this is our year because the schedule, the schedule that they have versus the schedule that they have in the coming seasons, it just like mandates that yes. this is the year you go for it. That's the other part of it. But as there well. are a lot of there are a lot of spots on this team where the players are just not, not on that same yeah. timetable. Last year, this is the last question I'll have for you. Closing thought: Do you think if Cam breaks a bone and if if Cam doesn't break that bone in his foot last year, do you think he starts at center instead of Tanner Farmer and they keep Farmer at right guard? I don't think so. I think they kind really? of go with the same. I I think I think that I think that would have been kind of over the top. Like I don't know that Cam would have been able to physically play the position last year. I, I guess mentally, well, that's a good point. Yeah, he wasn't you, he wasn't at the size yes. that he is now. But, so yeah, he wasn't at the size, and even then, like mentally. Like right now, we have a question if he's going to be able to do it. If he has to do it like two weeks after switching over from tight end and make all the calls and uh, read the defense and all that kind of stuff, I just don't think that it would uh, be possible. And I think if you try that, you're endangering Adrian. I think it might have been possible because you have Gerald Foster and, and Tanner Farmer as his two guards. You could have had Farmer make the calls and then just have just kind of use him as, as like a helper for – Cam, well, Cam figures out sort of the pre-play side of it. The other question is, would Cam was Cam a better option than Bo Wilson as that fifth guy? Because they've talked a lot about getting the five best guys out there on an offensive line, and we've known Bo Wilson has been a guy that's kind of been waiting for his chance, has been there as that six, that clear-cut sixth guy. And when um, they had to make the change there, that's kind of what they did. So w- would they have been better with Cam at center and? Farmer at guard or Farmer at center and Bo at guard, and I, um, I think that the latter is probably what they would have gone just based off what they've said and kind of how it went. It's an interesting what if. I've kind of thought about what would I want to do like a series of like what if questions in a story with Nebraska football because I think about the pick six against Wisconsin and Riley's last year like almost every single day. I think about what would have happened if that pick six didn't happen at the beginning of the game because that environment was crazy. Um, Jacob, you've been great. You probably got some work to do. I appreciate you um, sitting in. One of our uh, most versatile people, I guess. We got nuanced, thoughtful discussion on basketball and football. You do volleyball. What else do you do? You coach basketball. I do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's yeah, always that's... insightful having you on the podcast. So thank you. Uh, I appreciate the kind words, Derek. Even after you fired me. <laughs> Just got to get back in your good graces a little bit. We, uh, Like I said, next week is Big Ten Media Days, so we will have Hale Varsity coverage on the ground in Chicago for that. Um, Jacob will have some stories. In the meantime, we're getting ready for we're, – we're not quite there, but basketball is getting ready. Men's basketball is getting ready for its um, overseas trip. We'll have some, some stuff on that in the coming weeks. Um, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Keep it with HaleVarsity.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We're on iTunes and we're on SoundCloud. And I think we're on one more, maybe Stitcher, maybe. Don't quote me on that. We'll figure it out. But subscribe to the podcast. Leave us a review. Um, Tweet at me and tell me if you uh, would like me to hand hosting duties off to somebody else. Um, Keep listening. We will be back next week. Thanks, everybody.